We're going to read the scriptures from Paul's letter to the Philippians and the first chapter. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice For I know that through your prayers and with the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will be, mean more fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you in your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, 
conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you, or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is the sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. Now, there may be some churches, as they gather together today, are thinking they've just had an email from their missionaries in Japan. And their missionaries have been reading what the British government's been saying on their website. British nationals currently in Tokyo and to the north of Tokyo should consider leaving the area. And they've sent an email back to the church that sent them out to Japan saying, should we leave or should we stay? And the elders and the deacons or whoever else is part of the leadership team of the church have met together and they've talked about this. And one said this thing and one said that thing. And really, they couldn't come to a consensus. So they said, well, you know, we are a biblical church. Let's turn to the scriptures and see if we can have some guidance as to what we should be saying in this situation. And someone said, well, I think Philippians 1 will be a very good passage to look at. Because there Paul is saying, I don't know which way to go. I don't know whether I'm going to continue in prison. I don't know if I'm going to continue living. Or whether I'm going to die. And I'm sharing it with you Philippians. Let's go to that passage. Let's go to Philippians chapter 1 and look at that chapter and ask ourselves whether from that chapter principles will come out that will help us as we think how should we advise our missionaries. So, I want us this morning to sort of eavesdrop perhaps in this study. So, if you've got your Bibles, and presumably you have got Bibles because you have them open just now, please go back to Philippians chapter 1 and we'll be looking through this chapter and thinking about it in the context of someone who's saying, should I stay or should I go? In the situation now facing people in Japan. Let's just think about this letter and here we are. The Apostle Paul is in prison. And he's writing a letter to the church in Philippi. Really to minister to them. Few churches in the New Testament... You know, there are those who want to be a New Testament church, and I always ask them, well, which New Testament church do you want to be? Corinth? Or Ephesus? Or would you like to be the church in Philippi? Because there's probably no church that really loved Paul as much as the church in Philippi. It may have been the origins of the church there. And if the jailer was still around and part of the, uh, the congregation, he might remember that his first encounter with Paul was washing the wounds on his back. 
And if you're, if you're a missionary, if you wash the wound, wounds of your missionaries, you've got a very intimate and concerning relationship with them. And that seems to continue into the life of the church. They have great concern for Paul. And they've sent gifts to him. One of their number, Epaphroditus, had taken gifts and nearly died in the journey because they were so concerned, and Epaphroditus was so concerned that they can minister to Paul in prison in Rome. Perhaps, of course, because of the origins of the church there, they had a greater concern about Paul being in prison than other Christians might have done. After all, how did... How did the church begin? Paul was imprisoned in Philippi and there was an earthquake and he was released and the jailer was converted. But now he's still in prison in Rome. There's no earthquakes in Rome to get him out of jail. He hasn't got to get out of jail free card now. He's just there waiting for the decision on his case. And Paul writes to them. And note how he begins his letter. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. This is not one of those letters where Paul is going to say, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, etc., etc. It's not a church where he's going to have to say to them, I am the apostle now speaking to you, so listen carefully. Here is Paul very conscious of his own position as a servant of Christ Jesus. And as he writes to the church, notice that he puts the church members before the church leaders. To the saints in Christ Jesus in Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons. Put them in their place. It's you I'm writing to. I'm writing to you church members and they can just eavesdrop a bit into what I'm saying. How did Paul think about this church that he'd established in Philippi? He recognised them as people who were partners in the gospel right from the beginning. These were people who'd come to faith through Paul's ministry. There had been the different people converted in Philippi, the formation of the church there. But as Paul thinks about them, he doesn't think of them as perpetually in a junior position. They are people who are partners with him in the gospel. And they've been partners from the first day. And as Paul writes to them, he can say, and I'm confident that that work that God began in you so long ago, God is going to bring to fruition. You are going to be standing perfect before the throne of God at the last day. The grace of God that you've received is the same grace that I've received. We stand together before God in this ministry. And all this is bound up with his great love for these people. They loved him and he loved them. And they are bound together in that. And he's got a longing to be with them again. I long to be with you again, to share with you once more. And what does he do? Because he's got this love and this longing, he can't go at present. 
He's in chains in a prison in Rome. And so he prays. He sees the wonder of bringing them to God. And what does he pray for? He prays for a love that abounds with knowledge and an insight so that they may know what is best to do and may be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness. His love for them is not something that's just sentimental or an emotion, but it's a concern for them and their spiritual well-being that grows out of his gospel priorities. Now, how might, might this help the church leadership as they've got this email from their missionary in Japan? Well, first of all, it reminds us that when we think about those who've been sent out with the gospel, it's not just that they've got a relationship with the church that sent them, but they've got a relationship with the church that has received them, the church with which they are ministering, and the people to whom they're ministering. And it presents two issues that need to be considered. What is the local church saying to the missionaries? What are they saying to their missionaries at this time? They don't have the luxury of going down to the airport and getting on a plane provided by the British government to fly them out to Hong Kong. And if you're from one of the affected areas, you can do it for free. Otherwise, it's going to cost you £300. But at least you can get on that plane and go out to Hong Kong. But you're... Your believers, the Japanese Christians, they're there. What do they want their missionaries to do? It's always interesting if you ask a church what they want their missionaries to do or what they think about what their missionaries do do. A few years ago, just a couple of years ago actually, someone did a survey of asking Christians in a particular country in Central Asia, one of the stands, what they thought of their missionaries. And the report was rather worrying. Because they said, well, these people, they say they've come to serve us. But they always seem to be flying out of the country. They say they're always tired but as far as we can see, we don't, they don't seem to do very, very much hard work anyway. So why they're tired, we don't know. And they have all these, all these facilities that we don't have. So they say they love us, but they spend all their time talking to each other. Not a very good picture. So what is it that the church, that people have gone to, what do they want What is their desire? And then to go back to the missionary and say, and what is your desire for the people amongst whom you are serving? Is it the desire that Paul has here for the Philippians, even though he's apart from them, that they might grow in Christ? And Paul thinks that He's not certain what God will do with him, but he does, in the end, believe that his 
re-engaging with them directly will be for their spiritual benefit. There's something else here, isn't there? Very often when people talk about world mission and talk about people being called into mission, they think about an individual who gets a call from God and goes off. They don't think immediately about the relationships. Either the relationship with the church that's sending them or with those believers that they're going to be with when they arrive. That we are those who live in fellowship. And the the Apostle Paul demonstrated this, didn't he? When he was going to visit Rome, that wasn't a church he'd planted, but he wrote to the Christians there, not just so that they'd buy him a ticket for a boat to Spain, but because he said, I want to have fellowship with you. I want to receive from you and give to you. We are part of the body of Christ, and we want to be together in this ministry. Sharing in fellowship. We're going to brothers and sisters or people that we trust under God's work will become brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And we have those bonds of fellowships. Some years ago, I was at a church where some missionaries were reporting back on what they'd done. And it was very clear from what they said that they were very unhappy uncertain as to whether they'd go back again. And at the end of the evening, I went up to them and I said, "Um, tell me, how's your fellowship with the local believers in the country you're in? And they had to confess they had no fellowship with local believers. They were in a missionary compound and really they were doing certain work and that was what their focus was. And their relationship with national believers was almost non-existent. And I said, that is why you're finding it such an unhappy time. You are not understanding what it is to be part of the body of Christ, to be part of a fellowship into which you have come. I'm very grateful to what happened to us when we went to Indonesia, sent there by OMF and told to go and work there. And eventually sponsored by a church in the city of Bandung. And when we arrived... And the church was asked, do you want the porters to come and work with you? One of the Indonesian pastors, he said, right, they can come here, but on these conditions. They live where we tell them to live, and they spend their time in fellowship with us, and they're not always running off up the hill to where the other missionaries are. They've come to work with us. If they're going to come on those conditions, fine, we'll have them. If they don't want that, if they won't want to live where we say they're going to live, we don't want them. And that was the best thing, I think, that could ever happen to a missionary. To be told by the church that you are there to be with them. You are there to live with them. You are there to be part of their fellowship. Reports are beginning to come in about missionaries who are involved in relief actions in Japan. And the exciting thing as I've read through various people who've spoken about what they're involved in is the way in which they're working together with Japanese pastors and how the churches, the little churches in Japan are becoming the centres to which people come. 
People who aren't Christians come because here is somewhere where there is help and where there is hope. And the missionaries are working together with the churches. It's always an important issue. You want to come home? What's your home church going to say? And what's the people you're working with going to say? (coughs) Because Paul sees himself as a partner with the Philippians in the ministry. What is Paul's attitude to his ministry? We can feel the frustrations of the apostle in prison. You've only got to read the book of Acts. This man who sort of goes on from city to city, I must preach Christ where he hasn't been named. And you can stone him, leave him as dead, and he'll get up, come back, preach to you again, and then go on to the next town if you chase him out. Always on the move. But here he is, stuck in prison. He wants to be travelling, but he's in prison. Now, he first looks at the providential aspects of his present time. He says, because I'm here, in a Roman prison, all the palace guards, they know about the gospel. And when he gets to the end of this letter, in chapter 4, he says, I send you greetings from the brothers and sisters in Caesar's household. There is Caesar, the great opponent of the gospel, And there is Paul saying, and now, in Caesar's very household, there are people who are saying not the emperor is Lord, but Jesus is Lord. And because I'm here, the gospel is advancing. And then he turns to those who've replaced him in ministry. Paul's absence has meant that other people have ministered. His absence has made others bolder in their witness. You know, Paul's not here, so we'd better do it ourselves. Now, one of the features of the history of world mission is the question of when do you get rid of the missionaries? John Sung, who was a great evangelist in China in the 1930s and 1940s, is reported to have said, because I've never been able to identify exactly where the quote is, is reported to have said, when the missionaries leave, the church will grow. And of course it was true. There have been wonderful foundations laid on which the church was built. But it was perfectly true what he said. When the missionaries left, the church grew during those years of persecution. And one of the great problems for missionary work is when do you move on? Because there are many missionaries who think these are converts, these are new believers, they really aren't ready for ministry, I must stay here. And maybe the converts say, and we can't minister like the missionary does. We haven't got his understanding of the scriptures. We, we really need to, 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 to wait. We're not ready. When the missionary is withdrawn, if he's withdrawn, then the, it will be an evidence of how solid the work has been. And there will be that freedom for the believers to move forward in the ministry. The work may go forward without the missionary. 
And here is surely something that a missionary who's in the situation, shall I leave or shall I stay, must be honest before God about. Am I going to stay because I don't believe that anyone else can do God's work but me? Or maybe it's even more subtle. Maybe we feel that, yes, we are doing the work, others might do the work, but we don't want other people to do the work. These verses that Paul has here, verse uh, 15 down to verse 18, are tremendously challenging verses, aren't they? Here is Paul saying, yes, other people have begun preaching since I've been in prison but I'm not sure about the motives of some of them. Some of them are people who think, it's jolly good that chap Paul's locked up now. We can get on with the job and show how it really should be done. Others, yes, they have the great motive. They want to just preach the gospel because of a good motive. But Paul says, I rejoice whatever the motive if it's Christ who is preached. Isn't this a difficulty that we sometimes face? That we say we're concerned for the work of Christ, but really it's our own work that we're concerned about. Do you remember in the Gospels, when the disciples of Jesus met someone who was casting out demons in the name of Jesus? And they said, you know, Lord, please stop him. He's, he's not, he hasn't got, his, hasn't got his party card. He, he's not part of our group. He shouldn't be doing it. And Jesus said, if he's not against us, he's for us. Don't interfere with the ministry. Sometimes mission agencies think that their agency is the only agency to do things. There's a couple who went to Japan last year. I'd been, I'd known them both separately and up to when they got married and onwards for about eight, nine years, I suppose, walked with them steadily about their call to Japan. And then when it was getting to the point where they were saying, yes, we're ready to go, then they decided to go with another mission group and not with OMF. They wanted to do a particular ministry. And I had to come to this passage and tell my OMF colleagues about this passage and say, look, they're going to Japan. They're going to be engaged in gospel ministry. They're going to fulfill the ministry for which we were recruiting them. They're going with another agency. May the Lord bless them in that. It's God's work, not ours. God may have called us to work with a particular mission agency, but they're called elsewhere. So, church leaders, you're thinking about this couple in Japan. You'll be wanting to ask them about their motivation if they're going to stay. Are they going to stay for the right reason? Or is it that they're going to be those who say, we've got to stay because God can't work without us? But, don't think that's the conclusion. Paul, all right through this passage, is calling for a degree of sacrifice. Look, how he, well, look again at how he begins. 
Paul and Timothy. Our English versions sort of make it all rather nice. Servants of Christ Jesus. You know, it's wonderful to have servants, isn't it? You can't get servants now like you used to be able to. You know, you've, you've watched uh, upstairs, downstairs and um, all these other things and you know, it really would be nice if one had servants, wouldn't it? You know, servants. They've got their own life, haven't they? To have the butler there, servants. Why do we translate this as servants when the Greek word is slave? It's much more forceful, isn't it? Slaves of Christ Jesus. Someone who's there totally at the disposal of their master. In life and in death. And Paul is saying in this letter, I am here at the disposal of Christ. Whether in life or in death, I am Christ. I belong to him. And what is important to me is not whether I live or die, but whether I'm faithful. That's what concerns me. Whether God is going to be glorified in my body. He's concerned about this because of his own relationship with Christ, but also he sees his role as an example to others, and particularly to the Philippine Christians. He tells them that they will be called to suffer as he's been called to suffer, and that this is a privilege. Verse 29, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ Not only to believe on him, that's wonderful, we believe in Jesus, wonderful, but also to suffer for him. That's a privilege, a privilege that I've had and you're going to have as people oppose the gospel. The opponents of the gospel will be attacking you Philippines as he's attacked me. And Paul's prayer for them is that in such circumstances you will conduct yourself, verse 27, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In a manner worthy of the gospel. One of the missionaries in Japan, a man called Mike Jago, wrote on his Facebook on Friday in response to questions from supporters at home. You know, are you coming home? It's dangerous in Japan. Are you coming back? What did he write? They're in their, I think they're just about into their second year in Japan. Husband, wife, two young children. We have not come here just for a job or for reasons of our own, but because we have come to love and serve Japanese people in the name of Jesus. We would need an extremely strong and immediate reason to abandon the people we've been called here to stand alongside. He puts his decision very clearly in the context of what is best for the people to whom we've been sent. We have a horrendous situation in Japan. It's hard to grapple and to contemplate the numbers of people who have died in the earthquake and the tsunami. Although it's a small number compared with the number that were killed in Tokyo in 1945 from the Allied bombing, not to mention Hiroshima and Nagasaki. We're concerned, we're rightly concerned about the suffering of these people. But as Christians... Surely it shouldn't just be the physical death that concerns us. 
but the realization that only 1% of the people in Japan know salvation in Jesus Christ. That the Japanese are regarded by some as the largest unreached people's group in the world. Not just that these people are dying under horrendous situations, but they are dying without Christ. Dying without eternal salvation. And what example do we want to give to Japanese believers? That when trouble comes and when difficulty comes, our first concern will be for our own safety and our own welfare, and we'll get out of it if we can. That our security is more important than our love for them and our burden for their salvation. And the salvation of the majority of the Japanese who have not either heard or responded to the gospel. And Mike Jago seems to have thought it through. What does he say? We would need an extremely strong and immediate reason to abandon the people we have been called here to stand alongside. That's a very strong word, isn't it? Abandoning people. And I think that's where Paul would have stood. And that now, hopefully, we've got the answer to send to our missionaries. You would need very strong reasons to abandon the people that God called you to serve. But more than that, we need to examine our own hearts. As we think about the people in Japan, as we think of others who are dying without Christ, yes, we see the horror of the multiple deaths in Japan. But what is our love? for those who don't know the gospel? And are we ready to suffer that they might know it? It has been granted to you not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him.